Hey everyone, welcome back to the Not Just Politics podcast. The following is a Bridge USA style discussion with Addison Deal, Matt Foxell, Pat Sullivan, and Trevor Fitzsimmons. We sat down to discuss American intervention globally, gun rights regulations, and climate change. I hope you enjoy. All right, we'll get started. I'm going to lay out a couple of ground rules before we get started. Since this is a Bridge USA discussion, we're gonna I'm gonna lay out the the four sort of rules that they use in all of their events. I ask that everyone sticks them. I think they're pretty easy. First, no side conversations. The headphones are gonna help with that. You will hear everyone talking on top of each other and it's very jarring. So that's gonna happen a bit, but let's try to keep it to a minimum. Second, we are allowed to go after people's ideas. You do not attack anybody's character. I don't think that'll be a problem here, but I gotta throw that out there. Second or third, a please listen to listen, not to respond. Listen as actively as you can. And then fourth, we do not expect any person in this room to represent any group with which they identify. You are here to represent you, and that is all. My rules, uh, again, the side conversations is also a thing that I have. Please try not to do that. I don't think that'll be a problem. And then I will not give any of my opinions unless you ask me to. I will try to stay out of this as much as possible. I have brought questions on each of these topics from Bridge USA. I brought some of my own. With that being said, we'll get started. Our three topics today are American intervention, gun rights, and climate change. Any vote on which one gets discussed first? I don't think it really matters to me. Okay. Then we will start with American intervention. Oops. Okay, what is America's role? And also, just sorry, is another quick thing. We'll do raising hands to talk. I will pick on people as we go along, and we'll try to get back and forth going as much as we can. What is America's role on the world stage? What should America be? Pat. All right. Um, historically, uh, ever since after... Uh, a little bit after World War One, but mainly after World War Two, uh, the U.S. came into the world as a great power, um, and they've acted as essentially the world's police force. Um, in really any point of the world, whether it's military intervention, uh, political or economic intervention, which is the best way to put that broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, they came to mainly after World War II with the invention of nuclear weapons. Um, And there was a power vacuum. I mean, Europe was decimated. Mm -hmm. Germany was practically in shambles. So were the Brits and the French. Um, And there was a lot of turmoil in other regions of the world while the British and French were trying to uh, sort of cut up their colonial empires in, you know, uh, Asia, the Middle East, and Africa. Uh, parts of South and Central America, where they also had claims and where we had claims, we were trying to get rid of that. Um, a lot of people, there's a big call for anti-imperialism after World War II. Um, and ever since then, we sort of stepped in to fill the void where a lot of those other countries were pulling out and sort of failed in a lot of regions mm-hmm. where they were involved. Um and, you know, after World War II, there was it was the Cold War, um, the rise of communism. Mm-hmm. So we saw the, the, the growing threat 
that the Soviet Union and the USSR held. And we tried to prevent uh, the spread of communism. And we mm -hmm. sort of went into these countries that were becoming free and set up stable democracies. Mm -hmm. Do you think, well, first of all, does anyone have any other opinions? I just want to add like one sure. thing. I do. I definitely agree. I think, you know, the U.S. has taken the role of kind of like the world's police in a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also important to note that there is, you know, motivation behind that. It's not exactly just you, the U.S. like looking to, you know, be the police for other countries. There is, you know, invested interest mm -hmm. a lot of the times whenever the U.S. is intervening, whether it's resources or, you know, just looking good, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. There is, you know, a vested interest for the U.S. Yes. The Iraq war would be an example yeah, of that. Yeah, Even that just was... our involvement in Afghanistan. Yeah, sure. Yeah, she made a good point. And, like, building on top of that, there's, you know, strategic value in being in a lot of these places. Mm. Like, um, Afghanistan. Like, um, HKIA, the, the airport where we were, that we pulled out of, um, that was the largest air base that we had in the region. Mm. Uh, that was the largest base that we had that close to China. So, mm. like, a lot of these places, um, there are, like, economic and resource reasons why we're in these regions, but there's also military reasons, um, you know, because acting as the world's police force, it it's tough when you have to, you know, if there is some sort of, like, civil war breaking out in, in Yemen and our closest air base is, I don't know, Tampa Bay, like, that's tough. You know, like, it's hard mm. to get from Tampa to... To Africa mm. really quick, so it helps having these bases in other areas of the world, and then you know it helps it helps helps boost you know local economies, and we pay these countries to build bases and build naval stations and stuff like that in those bases, or in mm. those countries. Matt, Trevor, any thoughts? Um, I would say that uh, I agree with on the two points. Uh, the United States always has a realist uh, ideology towards uh, international relations. Um, Meaning that uh, whenever they uh, act as a unitary actor, they um, do such in a way that uh, they try and benefit themselves. Like, it might help another country to build a military base, but they're doing that so that we can build a military base for our military. Um, so it's all about, in my opinion, vested interest in the realist perspective of the United States. Okay, so... No, Matt. I don't have much to add to the um the whole topic with like America being the world police. I just don't think that they should be the world police. Okay, that, that, that that's my follow up because we've sort of all maybe agreed on the fact that this is the reality. America has acted as the world police force since maybe the end of World War II, beginning of the Cold War. There is an American world order that was established at that point. Should we have done that? And should we continue to do it? Eddie. I can say I. there are times where I do believe we should intervene. You know, there's a certain point. We have a history of kind of when it's on our doorstep, you know, mm -hmm. stepping in once it's breaking down our doors. Um, but I think a lot of what we do, at least in more in recent times, um, getting involved, I feel, as at the drop of a hat. I think the U.S. definitely, if... There, like, there's no vested interest for the U.S. or it's not in the best interest of the people of that country. Or if it's honestly a lot of times it's a matter that the country is solving on its own, that the U.S. just, you know, kind of steps in. I think we definitely need to pull back our involvement, at least 
a good bit. I don't think we are the I don't think we should be the world's police at the very least. Okay. Pat? Um yeah, I, I agree with what you said. Um I think that the US does tend to get more involved once it sort of threatens us. Like uh prime example um would be tax on nine eleven. Uh, we were involved mm-hmm. in the Middle East. Uh, we have been since the early Cold War. I mean, we, we funded the Mujahideen when the Soviets invaded, and then, you know, that's a, that's a whole other story. But, mm-hmm. you know, we were, you know, actively trying to stop the growth and spread of al-Qaeda in the Middle East and Africa. So we were involved in all these places. Um, and, you know, obviously involvement, involvement grew once the towers were hit and the Pentagon. Um, but it, it's, I, I think it's tough when you're talking about like, should we be somewhere? Should we not be somewhere? Um, because that's, it, there's a great sway in the American public when it comes to this stuff. Like, you know, it was really heavy after events like 9-11 or Pearl Harbor or something like that. We're like, oh no, like we need to be involved. Like we need to be there. And then after a couple of years, people are like, we shouldn't be here. The same thing happened in Vietnam. Like, mm-hmm. Vietnam, very high public support at the start of the war. You know, th- three years, th- around three to four years into the war, people, the anti-war movement started, and no one really wanted to be in the country. And that's, mm-hmm. it, military advisors always say that it's, it's three years with the American public. If you can't solve whatever military problem we're facing in three years, the public is going to sort of look away from it. Mm. Um, I mean, look at where we're involved now. You know, we have a lot of resources, a lot of money um, being sent to Ukraine. Uh, now Israel's starting to build up. So we're sending, I mean, we've already sent a carrier strike group to the Mediterranean. There's JSOC forces on the ground. Um, and there's Marines preparing to deploy to um, Gaza. So it's it's tough thinking if we should or shouldn't be somewhere. Um, I I don't know. It's as as much as we would like to be the good guys. You know, it's it's tough because there's uh, the biggest problem we're involved in right now is Ukraine. Like mm-hmm. so that. And a lot of people are very, you know, we need to help the Ukrainians. We need to prevent the spread of, you know, Russian control in the region. Um, and, you know, we should send money. We should send support. But then then again, in turn, that all that money we're sending, I feel, could be invested in other places. Mm-hmm. You know, like there, we're sending, I don't know how much we've sent, billions and billions of dollars. I don't, I don't, I, I've never found an official number, but it's, I think it's over the tens. It grows. It's over 10 billion, I think. It yeah. grows daily. Um, I mean, what they have sent is a fraction of the U.S. defense budget. Like, it is like this much compared yeah, to Yeah, it's the tiny. Money. It's tiny. But it's in regular people money, it's a lot. But in U.S. Mm-hmm. government money, it's not a lot. But not just money. Like, we sent Abrams. We've sent, you know, Humvees, night vision, all that stuff. Weapons, munitions. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay. Then do you think, so I guess then we'll open up the Ukraine discussion. Yeah. When do we stop sending, do we ever stop sending aid and when? Matt. I feel like we should have stopped sending aid to Ukraine a while ago because it, it's just, it's almost none of, it's basically none of our business because we are, oh, how am I? 
it's not our role as Americans to be um, the world police. I don't think at all. Mm-hmm. So and and being the world's police, even if we were, that would be. We take too many sides. I feel like, you know, like we're not, what do you mean by that? We not we're not objective enough. Like we always go straight for like sending military equipment to like these places instead of sending ambassadors to like mm. try and get peace negotiations going. Addie. Sorry. <laughs> um, I think just to add on to that, um, we're sending all this aid and everything and we're, you know, when countries are facing some kind of turmoil and we do jump in as the police and we do help them, there's cases where once we help them for so long and nothing happens and we pull out and then they're completely screwed over. They have no mm-hmm. resources. They have nothing to keep them going. And that's something we've seen. So I think we, I mean, I can't speak obviously for all of the governing bodies, but you know, some you know, there might be the right idea in mind. You know, we might be trying to help people, but I think at the end of the day, our attempting to help oftentimes does a lot more worse than it does good. And I think, I definitely agree. I think um, staying in our lane and kind of staying out of other countries' business a lot of the time can do more good than we think it can. Pat? Um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, Prime's able, like you said, um, like we'll go in and you know we'll we'll get involved and then nine times out of ten it becomes worse. Um, I mean, good example of that is Afghanistan. Yep. I mean, we did a lot of good in Afghanistan. Um, I know I have a lot of friends who were in Afghanistan, um, mm-hmm. in Iraq, uh, all through those wars. I grew up with a lot of people. I know people. Um, and it was unfortunate the way that we left there. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that could have been done better and it could have because we just kind of pulled the carpet out of yeah, yeah. feet like we yeah. that that was a disaster. It wasn't a clean pull either. No, a couple of no. cups fell. Yeah. Something's like, on the floor. It's it broken. Like a stack of cups like the yeah. bottom five cups fell and then everything else came down. With yeah. It. Like it should have been a much more gradual pullout. Yeah. And it, it was like we've been pulling out of there since like, I don't know, probably like 2016. Mm-hmm. But it's been gradual. Like we didn't have the manpower on the ground to sustain a full pullout like that. Um, But to the other points where it's, um, if we, I like what you guys said, how we should stay out of it, you know, stay out, let countries deal with it themselves. And I think that a lot of times that works, you know, because there are a lot of times that we have gotten involved in history and in the world and it's just made things worse. But Mm -hmm. I think in the case of Ukraine, um, I think it would have been a bad idea if we didn't get involved. Okay. Um, because we didn't get involved when Putin annexed Crimea. Mm-hmm. And he saw that as untouched. Like he he knew that he would if he in his mind, no one tried to stop him. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I'm just gonna keep going. Sure. Right? And that's the same thing that happened with Hitler in the nineteen thirties is he just he started grabbing places in Eastern Europe and no one was stopping him. Mm-hmm. And eventually he had expanded nearly twice the size of Germany with these and that's that's tough because we don't really want me personally, I don't want to see another Hitler or another country at the point of Germany in nineteen forty two. Um and I I think that it's for the best that we are in Ukraine. Um I think that other countries should give a little more than they are and we shouldn't be giving like the the brunt force of it 
Mm. I mean, we already fund like 75% of NATO and the mm. UN. Like we wrote the UN charter. So like the US is really the powerhouse in a lot of these things already. And I feel like a lot of other countries are or need to step up a little bit more. And it can't just be us all the time giving all of our resources. Because mm -hmm. we don't have the military supplies to be giving away. Like we are very underfunded and very understaffed. Like military recruiting numbers are at an all time low. All time mm -hmm. low. And we don't we're we're still like reserve units are still running with equipment from Cold War. Early mm -hmm. Iraq. You know, like we can't be giving away brand new M1 Abrams. Like the Germans sure. are there, the Poles are right there. The Spanish, they all love to say, oh, the U.S. shouldn't do this, but they don't do anything. Mm -hmm. Like um, in regards to Israel, uh, yeah. Spanish, uh, I don't know what there is. So someone in the Spanish government, I saw this yesterday, in their version of the Justice Department was condemning the way that the U.S. is trying to assist Israel mm -hmm. and calling for, you know, the the eu to block any trade or any work with any countries who support um israel spain's not doing anything in any, right. any region of the world right so it's it's easy to play you know monday morning quarterback for a lot of these countries <laughs> when they don't really you know pick up their slack and sure. I, me personally I, I think that um ukraine is a good cause because the russian the uh, putin and his administration yeah. are not great people. Um, mm -hmm. They've done nothing great ever, really. Um, Wrap it up, Pat. Sorry, I, we got to keep it yeah. flowing so, here. Yeah. Um, I, th I think that we should be involved, but I feel like we should kind of cut it back and let other people kind of pick it up where we are carrying too much of the weight. So how do we balance... Um, how do we how do we make sure that because the the discussions that I've had people are concerned about Vladimir Putin pushing into NATO countries, particularly like Poland, like people are concerned with taking Poland. How do we figure out how to balance that between giving aid or maybe giving less or giving none? Like if we give none, are we, how much are we risking Putin coming into a NATO country and <clears throat> starting a bigger conflict? Trevor. I say we open up with diplomacy. Why do we have to... I don't understand why the American government feels that we need to go in with weapons first and then attempt diplomacy. Um, I feel like both sides are at a stalemate right now within this war. Not much ground has been gained either way mm -hmm. from, what, from what I've seen. Um, and... Uh, I honestly, uh, a lot of people are thinking that Putin is a lot dumber than uh, people think. He's very well educated. Mm -hmm. He knows, he, he calculates risks of whether or not to go into Poland or not. And mm -hmm. the risk of going into Poland, in my opinion, would be too, too great for Putin. Um, would he try and test NATO's response to maybe deploying weapons of mass destruction in Ukraine? Possibly. Mm -hmm. Ukraine's not a NATO country. People tend to forget about that. Mm -hmm. Ukraine's not part of NATO. That's why the state apparatus of uh, the Russian Federation feels necessary to uh, invade Ukraine to prevent their uh, 
slow adaption into NATO mm-hmm. as they feel is possibly going to happen. So I would overall say diplomacy is the best option here. Should Ukraine, and I don't, I don't want to get us off topic, but should Ukraine be a part of NATO? Because from my understanding, that was never supposed to happen. But should we invite Ukraine into NATO? Maddie? I think it's uh, it's definitely complicated because even with just the conflict right now, we're not, you know, technically involved because he, uh, Ukraine is not a part of NATO. So we don't technically have to de- officially declare involvement. But I think the hardest part of this conversation is what Ukraine entering NATO would do to Putin and Russia and what he would do in retaliation of that, because where the cold the effects of the cold war are still long lasting past when it supposedly ended but so basically anything we do is like i like russia's eyes are on us so us you know sending aid to ukraine and like being involved in that way is kind of us saying like you know we're not okay with this but like we're not you know we're not trying to you know start a bigger conflict like this so i think bringing ukraine into nato would of course accelerate that conflict so much to where Putin and and I feel like honestly at this point Putin's almost asking for that to happen he's almost begging the U.S. to like you know induct Ukraine into NATO because he wants that kind of bigger conflict so I think it's a it's a very fine line we have to walk on between like helping out Ukraine and actually like them becoming a part of NATO okay anyone else Pat uh I well I like the point that you made when you said the Cold War supposedly ended because this is this is this is the cold war over again like we're fighting yeah we're kind of in a new one now like yeah with china we're definitely in a new cold war even even with russia I yeah say. like it's you know proxy wars yeah we're in a sort of another cold war with you know north korea not really mm-hmm. north korea but mainly russia iran and china and yeah but we're in a position now where the united states is again trying to strengthen ties abroad yeah. in the south china sea yeah, in japan like those places yeah. because China's like redrawing maps yeah. and they're just like taking stuff they're not supposed to take. Yeah. It's there we're fighting we're fighting more proxy wars. Yeah. You know, like Vietnam, like Afghanistan, and the Russians and the Iranians are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, Iran is funding Hezbollah, funding Hamas, you know. Um there are a couple times in Iraq and Afghanistan that US forces were attacked by Russian backed militias or mm-hmm. Wagner forces. Um but the the question if Ukraine should be inducted into NATO. Um, I mean, they've tried. They, mm-hmm. They've they've been trying to go through this process for years now. Um, and I think one of the big reasons that they haven't been in, inducted into NATO was just the the level of corruption that is in that country. Yeah, like the the idea that like the Ukrainians are this not 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 the Ukrainians, but the Ukrainian government. Yeah. Is this like perfectly, perfectly sound altruistic you know, underdogs? No. Sure. Ukraine, since the fall of the Soviet Union, since they became independent, has been they have a lot of skeletons in their closet. Oh mm-hmm. especially Zelensky. Um that current administration has a lot of skeletons in their closet. Um a lot of the things that are going on right now in that war that don't really reach mainstream media would not help Western sort of support for that war mm-hmm. you know um if 
I think Putin is taking advantage that they're not in NATO. Um, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you look at a map, every other country but Ukraine that borders Russia is a NATO country. Yep. So he sees it as if he can take over Ukraine, he sort of has the point of the spear has stabbed into the heart of these NATO countries. Yeah. He now has a little bit further reach west than he originally did. Mm-hmm. You know? Um Economically and militarily, I see no real reason for Ukraine to be in NATO. Strategically, yeah, like it makes sense because that's just then we've completed the wall mm-hmm. between the West and Russia. Like now, there's like a little gap there. Yeah. Um, I don't know though. I, I I don't know if we should let them into NATO or not. I feel like it's it'll probably happen with the outcome of this conflict. Um, mm-hmm. It's the more likely solution that I see. But I, I, I don't know what will happen. I'm not quite sure, if I'm being honest. And how is President Biden handling this? Anyone's thoughts on that again? Um, so he, he's doing, I mean, he sent a little bit more money than I would like to see sent. Um, but he hasn't deployed American forces, which is mm-hmm. good because we don't, we don't need that right now. We, we do not need American forces in a large-scale ground conflict with another world power, especially yeah. another world pro- power that has nukes. Yeah, in a in a hot spot, too. Yeah. There's the argument that if this was maybe... I guess, is, is there a question of if this is more of a direct conflict, is that more acceptable to send American troops, whereas this is... Ukraine is... You could argue that Ukraine is also a proxy war. Oh, yeah. That we are just funding... yeah. Ukraine's military, maybe we shouldn't send troops over yeah, there. There's I mean, an argument for that. I mean, that. by definition, this is a proxy war. Like, if, like, we, like, American forces are not directly involved. Now, don't get me wrong, American assets are on the ground in Ukraine. Yeah. They have been since before the war even happened. Mm-hmm. Like, military advisors, we had probably had special operations units in, on the ground. Like, mm-hmm. Ukraine's been a hotbed for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. But it just recently hit the news in Russia. Like, Russia has been fighting in Ukraine since, like, 2013. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I think I think he, uh, President Biden made a smart play not putting troops on the ground. Okay. Anyone else? Men? Okay. Here, there's an argument that floats around that if Trump was in office, this would not have happened. And then Trump's on, there's that CNN town hall. Trump says he'll end the war in one day. Do any of these arguments hold water? Trevor. I don't think that that would be the case. I don't think any American president or anyone elected president would end the war in one day. One, you can't end a war in one day. It's virtually, you can call a ceasefire, but you can't end the war. Mm-hmm. Um, two, um, he wouldn't be able to do it because there's too too much money on the ground too much assets um putin was building up uh the russian military to invade well before um the invasion occurred i mm-hmm. believe in 2020 they were actually building up the military so uh this was planned strategic by the russian federation so i believe either way we'd still be in the same situation just a different person in office so Trump's, maybe Trump's, Trump had more of a, 
I don't know how to explain it, but he had that sense of like he was not taking any crap from anyone in that sort of sense, Pat. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen I've seen a lot of these arguments where it's you know, would would he would it have happened if Trump was in office? I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, I think that world leaders were. I don't want to say scared, but they were a little uneasy when Trump was in office mm-hmm. because they didn't know what he was going to do. Yeah, there's like an unpredictability yeah, to him. He, he in wasn't. A way. He wasn't like. I mean, Joe Biden's a career politician. Trump was not. Mm-hmm. So you can tell what a career politician is going to do, mm-hmm. especially if you've been in politics for long enough. Yeah. But like the, none of the none of these world leaders knew what. They were gonna like they didn't know what they would say that would maybe may or may not set Trump off, mm-hmm. you know. And I feel like they a lot of these like Russia was already operating on thin ice. Like they were they were kind of tearing on the edge. They were like they knew that the West was going to be involved no matter what they did, but they didn't mm-hmm. under the Trump administration. They didn't know how involved the West was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, if Trump was in office, I mean he has that relationship with Putin. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he was able to sort of i don't know if he i would say end but de-escalate the conflict in a Mm. big thing um i don't know because putin's very adamant about how bad he wants ukraine so i would Mm. be interested to see how that would play out but i don't i don't prevent it i say there's a higher likelihood that trump would have been able to prevent the conflict but end it i'm not sure i would say de-escalate not end okay where do we set in terms of the United States' responsibility in helping refugees? Have we done too much, too little? Trevor? Um, well, I feel we've done too little, um, uh, as opposed to some of the other Western countries that uh, actually follow international law and uh, accept asylum seekers. Um, as ref- Any asylum seeker is a refugee, qualifies under the refugee the uh, Geneva Convention is a refugee that I forget what the treaty is. The Treaty on the Status of Refugees, I believe it is, as a refugee. Um, that would include the migrants at the southern border. I mm-hmm. did not mean to bring them up, but I'm just saying that would include the refugee status. An overall broad view of refugees, however, I still believe we should let, we should take in more refugees. If we adhere more to international law and international standards, the United States uses its quote-unquote soft power or its prestige in the world of uh, being a world power to lead by example and uh, influence, maybe possibly influence the decisions of other nations. For example, Australia follows very closely to U.S. foreign policy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyone else? Matt? I feel like before we um, increase the amount of refugees we're taking in, I feel like we should fix the current um, America that we have. Like literally here in in Pittsburgh, we have um, people you know, on Grand Street living in tents. I feel like we should fix a lot of those problems before we let in even more people who are, are impoverished and you know, so you're, so you're, oh, sorry, Addie. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I definitely think we do have a lot to work on in our own, you know, country, things like that. But I mm. do think we should be taking in more refugees because at the end of the day, we do have problems in our country. But we were 
you know, on the Statue of Liberty, bring us your poor and huddled masses. We are a country that is for people who are escaping whatever it is that they're escaping. Like, that is what we, that's our foundation as our country. Like, we should be letting as many refugees as possible in because that's just, you know, that's what we've always stood for. That's what we should continue to stand for. And at the end of the day, if you're coming from a war-torn country, anything is going to be better than that. Like, at least Mm -hmm. if you come to the U.S., there is somewhere for you to go where you don't have to worry about gunfire or bombings, you know, coming down the street. So I Mm -hmm. think we definitely need to do a lot more for refugees. uh, (laughs) You said as many as possible. So I can make the argument that the current number we're taking in is as many as we can take. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think... You know, we do have, like, it is, you do have to take in consideration our resources, our, mm-hmm. you know, how much land we have, you know, those kind of things. I think that is important. And I think maybe if we have reached our capacity of refugees, we should be working, you know, our involvement with other countries. We should be working with other countries on getting those refugees to other countries, to safe places in other countries. I just think that helping refugees, no matter what that looks like, whether that's helping them into our country, helping them into other countries, I think that just should be a priority. And, you know, if we have reached our max, if we have not, you know, we don't have enough resources, whatever, to bring in more refugees, then we need to start looking for other ways to help these refugees. Okay. Anybody else? Pat? Yeah, I think you all make some good points on that. Um, the U- I, I think the U.S. should do more. Um, and, I mean, like you said, with the southern border, um, we we just border patrol in specific like they they don't have the resources to help these people that need it mm-hmm. you know like i was i was listening to a podcast probably a month ago and this the guy that was on it was a uh, former border patrol agent he did bortac which is like their special operations thing and he's like we don't we don't have the resources mm-hmm. to help these people he's like we all want to but we don't have the resources cuz dhs isn't giving them the funding mm. so and, and then and in turn, you know, Border Patrol gets a lot of heat. Homeland gets mm-hmm. a lot of heat for that stuff. But they don't they don't they don't have the resources. And, mm. you know, Border Patrol is the highest suicide rate in federal law enforcement because the things that they see, they can't help these people because mm-hmm. they don't have the money. I me personally, I mean, th- this country was founded on immigrants like it. Th- mm. Quite frankly, like every person who built this country was not from here. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, bring more people in because, you know, more people means more ideas and more opportunities for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and more people means more money. So I, I think that the, the process to, you know, apply for visas and stuff needs to be streamlined a little more because mm-hmm. it is way too freaking long for mm-hmm. any of that. Um, and even Afghanistan, like during that pullout private citizens got more people out of Afghanistan than the U S government did. Yeah. I believe that it's, yeah, it's, there was, um, save our allies was the name of the organization. And it's a bunch of former U S special operations veterans. They, some of the guys were the, are like owners of black rifle coffee and they Mm -hmm. went in and they got a bunch of their army, Navy and air force buddies and they chartered planes and they raised a bunch of money and they flew people from, Afghanistan to Saudi Arabia. Statistically, they got more people out than the U.S. government. And that's sad. That's sad. Mm, yeah. Like the U.S. military, they have C-130s, they have aircraft carriers, they have all this stuff, and they couldn't get people out. We, we left. Yeah. How many? We left 
interpreters. We left people we worked with. We left dogs. We left a lot of guns that yeah. Hamas picked up and is and, rolling yeah. through Israel with them yeah. as we speak. Because the Taliban is giving them to Hamas, you know? Yeah. The Taliban's rolling around with night vision. Night vision. Yeah. Those, like, four tubed ones are, like, $30,000 a piece. We yeah. Left, we left that. We left, you know, armored vehicles and stuff. Now, granted, it's cheaper to leave stuff than to bring it back, but that's a, that's not the point. Are you meaning to tell me that one semester at Point Park is that night vision goggles would have been cheaper? Yeah. That I could have just bought night oh, vision. Dude, I could have just bought I a cool set of night vision goggles. I don't think you want to know how much a lot of that stuff is. It, no, I, I, I have some idea, it's, but that's messed up. Yeah. I mean, I should have just bought the night vision goggles. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. We, the, we, we left dogs, like service dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And what did the Taliban do? Executed them on the runway of Kabul airport. And the U.S. government did nothing. Yeah. Thumbs down. <laughs> okay. So then should, is there an argument then that we should take all these resources that are going to these places and put them into some sort of program that allows us to bring in more refugees? Yeah. I think so. And if not, if the U.S. government needs help, which they have a very long history of not asking for help, which I feel like they should. Um, yeah. There are private entities that are really good at this stuff. Mm -hmm. Prime example, Afghanistan. Save our allies. Yeah. Utilize these agencies. Get mm -hmm. them on contracts and use them. Or yeah. stop spending money on stupid shit and, <laughs> you know, start funding better ways to help people that need our help it's very hypocritical saying that we're the world's police force but we can't help the people that need us yeah it's that's a good point it's sad as much good as the u.s does in the world this is one of the things where they fail every time and it's sad to see yeah okay any other thoughts any other thoughts on american interventionism are we ready to move on Okay. Okay, let's let's open up the discussion to gun rights and regulation. How do uh I don't know exactly how I want to open this. How does everyone feel about the second amendment? We'll just we'll start real broad and we'll get specific as we go along. Addie? I think the second amendment specifically at the time was needed. When we wrote when we wrote it, that was something that, you know, we needed to worry about a lot. And I do think that in today's time we still I do think people do have the right to bear arms. I think, you know, protection is important. People go hunting, you know, things like that. I do I do think people have the right to bear arms. However, with the technolo technological advancements that we've made from the point where it was written to today, it is a completely different ball game. Like it's completely different weapons. Like back when we wrote this, it was powdered muskets and like things, it took 20 minutes to reload before you could shoot your next one. Mm -hmm. And now it's automatic weapons that can fire a hundred rounds in 10 seconds. So I think, while I do think the right to bear arms that the second amendment states is, you know, something that is still needed today. I do think it shouldn't be so broad anymore just to as people have the right to bear arms. I think, we need to be more specific. We need to be more, you know, specific, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Matt? I think that the Second Amendment is great, and it allows us to 
have weaponry that we need in case the U.S. government becomes a fully authoritarian state. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anybody else, Pat? Yeah. Um, I mean, like you said, like the the point of the U.S. or the Second Amendment is to prevent, you know, government overreach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like what you said. Um, the original concept of it was great. Um, I think. I mean, I, I'm I'm a f- supporter of the Second Amendment. Um, mm-hmm. I understand people do not like the Second Amendment. I understand the arguments around that. Um, and if how do I want to say this? It's very hard to, I mean, you have the right to bear arms, simple as that. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's like some of the heavier weaponry is very hard to get, very hard. Like you can't, you can't own a automatic rifle without crazy, crazy permits and licensing. Like I'm talking probably like three years worth of paperwork to get this stuff. Um, But I, I think it's a good thing. Um, for both protection and I mean it's it's fun to be able to go to go shoot guns, um, mm-hmm. and I, I think it I think it kind of sets us apart from a lot of different countries in the world, which is a nice little touch in there. Okay, Trevor. Um, yes. Um, I agree that the Second Amendment uh, was needed and to an extent is needed um, in our society. Um, I support the amendment at its creation that. Uh, Yes, Americans do have the right to bear arms. I grew up around guns. Um, I've shot guns before with uh, my uh, dad and my brother. However, does a person really need an AR-15 or flamethrower, both of which you can buy legally in the United States? I feel like maybe there should be a limit on what types of... We can limit the First Amendment. Why can't we limit the Second? Mm, Interesting. Well, that's another can of worms that we're not going <laughs> to open that was not voted on but okay wait was there somebody is there somebody else yeah it was grace <laughs> she oh. just walked by she looked over oh. <laughs> okay so it seems to be so i guess maybe the discussion is because pat i think pat you made an interesting point like these weapons some of the heavy duty weapons are really hard to get mm-hmm. there's a discussion going around that these weapons can be left behind like your dad goes through the three hours of paperwork to get the AR-15 and then leaves it behind for the kid whenever they pass away or whatever. Or and it seems like, and I don't, I don't know all the data. Like I haven't looked at all of it, but it seems like there's a potential for people to get their hands on these weapons when they shouldn't be able to through like a family member owning them and that paperwork not being fully sorted out. Mm-hmm. So how do we figure that out? How do we figure out inheriting? Like, I don't know. What's the process with inheriting weapons? I genuinely don't know what that, that what that's like. Eddie? I, I mean, I don't know what the process is that we have today, but I know that that is, you know, like a, you know, a big problem with guns. Like people, you know, I don't know about inheriting, but like even just people having those kind of weapons locked up in their house that aren't locked up properly or their mm-hmm. kid finds out the safe, the code to the safe and gets into it. But I think weapons themselves even like to a point where bullets and bullet like how much bullets you're buying it should all be specifically to the person it should be 
you should have to log your ID, your name, things like that. So that way they know the government can keep an eye on you if you pass away and you have these weapons registered under your name. We know that you have this gun, this gun, and this gun. So mm. they know that, okay, we like, where are these guns going? Where are they now that they've been purchased? Where, where should they go next? I don't know what it is, what the policy is about inheriting weapons at this point, but that is something I think that's what I think we should be doing at the very least. Okay. Does the government knowing, like if the government knows what guns you have, does that make it easier if they want to get tyrannical to know how to deal with everybody? Like, is there an argument that the government shouldn't know what guns we own? Pat? Um, I mean, you have to register a firearm when you buy it. Like, the government does know if you register it now. Mm -hmm. and But if you are caught with an unregistered firearm, oh, that's that's not great. Like, you will you probably serve jail time for that. Um, when you buy a firearm, you have to, you know, register it. Uh, you know, what kind of gun is it? What's the, the brand, the model, serial number? You know, what caliber is it? Um, so they already know. That's if you register it, right? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people don't like that. Mm -hmm. um, more of the ex the extreme side of the Second Amendment supporters. Um, but then in turn with that, when you have people who do register firearms and they break the law, it is sort of a protection mechanism. Mm. Like if there's some guy who sort of snapped and is threatening to, I don't know, like kill the district attorney or something like that in, say, Allegheny County, mm -hmm. the police can, you know, go through the ATF database and they can say, oh, John Doe has XYZ registered to him. So we mm -hmm. know for a fact that he has access to whatever firearms are on that list. Mm -hmm. As if there's more on that list. And he didn't register. We don't know. Um, sure. So there is a system in place. A lot of people aren't a fan of it. Um, I think it's a good thing because there are some nut jobs out there who mm -hmm. will take advantage of not having registered firearms. I mean, you watch like cops or body cam footage, and mm -hmm. you know you see how big of a deal they make it when they pull somebody over with an unregistered firearm because you don't know. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's it. That's when it teeters on the edge of dangerous, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, you know, I, I grew up around guns. I was taught gun safety for from a very young age. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's important when you are buying a gun. If you plan to have it in the household or around kids, I feel like it's important that you make it aware and you sort of teach the, 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 the importance of how this is a tool. Like, this is not a mm -hmm. toy. It's a tool. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that also adds to that layer of protection. If people are aware of what they're holding and what they're buying, mm. that is a protection layer on top of the registration process. Mm -hmm. Addie? I have to, I agree with that, definitely. I think um, knowing the consequences of like what it is that you have, like what it can do, um, mm. I think that should be honestly be a requirement before you even are able to get your gun license or buy a gun. Like you should, you know, have to watch a video or something or like just some kind of class like they do whenever women go to get abortions they have to watch a video about their baby and how you know mm -hmm. what they're doing I think that should be you know a realistic like thing that people should have to do I also think that when you're purchasing a gun you should be have to you know 
have a safe to keep it in. Like you have to prove that you have somewhere to keep it locked up, especially if you have children, especially if you have children. There's mm-hmm. been so many instances recently where kids are getting a hold of their parents' guns and then hurting people. Even when I was in high school, we I lost a, the one of my fellow high school students to gun violence in that exact way. Another kid got his parents' gun. They were playing around with it, and it ended up taking a kid's life. I think the consequences of gun violence are just very real and keeping things locked up knowing the consequences of what you have that's it's essential to safely using guns yeah matt we haven't heard from you in a while any thoughts well i don't know i i'm kind of like split on this because i understand the necessity for registering guns and stuff but also i I feel like the idea that the government can know like everything like um, the more the government knows, the less I trust the government. Like the more the government mm-hmm. wants to know, I le- the less I trust the government. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like, what's this? What's the stuff? Who's to say what gun? Like where do they draw the line at banning guns? Mm-hmm. At banning what type of guns you can own? Yeah. Like who's to say that? Yeah, that's tricky. That goes for a lot of different things. That goes for. A lot of different discussions that we're having. Okay, someone, I think multiple people have brought up, like, holding the government accountable with the weapons. Here's my genuine question for all of you. (laughs) Has that ever, has that ever happened in our history? Has the government ever looked at the however many guns it is in this country and said, oh, well, we shouldn't do this thing because they might do something about it? Has that happened a single time in the history of our country? No. No, <laughs> it hasn't. Now, as, as to if that sort of thought went through the minds of the decision makers, I'm not quite sure because that's a terrifying thought. Be like, mm, maybe we shouldn't. But um, to my knowledge, no. I and and, I'm, and I, I'm like pro-gun. Like yeah. I am, but I just I was listening to like a comedy bit and this guy was like, I thought it was really funny. He was like, has, 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 has this ever stopped anything from happening? Like, no. elites are going to private islands doing horrible shit. Like, the government is doing all sorts of stuff, and we've got a lot of guns as it is. <laughs> I think that's interesting. Like, I on paper, I think that that's a reasonable argument to say that you should be able to stop the overreach of government with guns. But in this country, has that ever stopped them? And I think I think it's funny with that because it's you know I I understand like the government overreach where it's you know oh like a bunch of us have we have ARs and we have you know shotguns or high caliber rifles or something like that but the U the the U S has drones like we have yeah we have <laughs> tanks that's also what I was thinking but if they really wanted to take people out wouldn't they just roll out the laser gun that they've been hiding in Area yeah, Fifty One yeah, like they would just blast you reaper drones that <laughs> hellfire missiles attached to them yeah so your 12 gauge shotgun probably isn't gonna do much but that's that's the thing is like that, that i think that's an interesting part of that yeah. discussion then is how do we how do we balance that <laughs> because it's maybe people should part. it's the comical part of that discussion maybe people should be able to own guns but my thoughts always been if they really wanted to I think they could take you out. I don't think your AR-15 in your basement's going to do a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. And I'm saying I think people should be able to have guns. Like I think they, they should. Okay. 
Um, how do we figure out mass shootings? How do we... What do we have to do? I think there's a mental health aspect to this discussion that probably needs to be had. Does anyone have any thoughts on that part of it? Matt? I feel like school shootings are caused more of the more by the culture than by the guns themselves mm-hmm. because people have always had like f- for basically the entire history of this country have had access to weaponry mm-hmm. and it's only just recently that these things are being hap- happening more and more often mm-hmm. you know Eddie I I can see like that point and I do I do somewhat agree with that. I do think the current state of the world definitely has a lot to do with an uptick in like school shootings and mass shootings in that way, but I think we also have to look at other countries in this scenario, other countries with stricter gun regulations and things like that, how school shootings like that are not happening mm-hmm. in other countries that don't have ac- like that have more strict regulations. So I I do think to a certain degree it has a lot to do with the current state of affairs of the world, but I think the bigger issue with that is access, is what we were talking about earlier, parents not locking up their guns, just general access to those kind of weapons is what is the real, you know, not cause, but, you know, trigger. Mm -hmm. Pat? Um, I do think that there is a... And, uh, uh, an untouched mental health crisis going on, which mm-hmm. makes me feel the larger sort of umbrella of these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a conversation that you can have for six days straight. Um, yeah, probably. But I mean, if you if you look at like like you said, like if you look at the rest of the world um, that have stricter gun laws um, where this doesn't happen, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the UK. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have school shootings, but how many mass stabbings do they have a year? How many I think yeah, I, I think what I see in London has a lot yeah. of like knife. Like if you, last I looked at the statistics, the the amounts of violent deaths in the U.S. are stab, not gun. So that you mean in the U.K.? No, U.S. Oh, in the U.S. Yes, last I checked. Okay. Um, but even even the U.K. like there's like there's no gun violence, but like there the amount of stabbing related deaths or severe injuries or severe incidents outnumber those of mass shootings in the u.s which is then it's like oh, do we ban kitchen knives like i don't know it, that's, mm. that's where it's tough yeah because I mean? it's uh, but i think i think the overarching issue is the mental health crisis that okay. no one really wants to address okay i um i see i see your point there but i have to mention a knife you can kill one person at a time with a knife you can kill a whole lot of people in a short amount of time with the gun. Uh, it has a lot, you know, farther reach. You know, you can shoot people at a distance. A, a knife is, you know, that is a valid issue. Like, you know, it, in, you know, places where the gun regulations are stricter, there is, you know, higher knife violence or violence mm-hmm. in, like, that kind of way. But I think we're missing the point of the c- capabilities of the weapon itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, she makes a good point. Yeah. The mental health crisis thing is interesting because I don't think that's the part that anyone wants to have a discussion about because I don't really know how... Because I think that... There, okay, is there an economic aspect? 
I know we're maybe getting a little far away from the guns, but I do think the mental health thing is probably the crux of the problem for a lot of people. There's like an economic side to that, I think. Like there's people in this country working for jobs. They're doing all this crazy stuff, just trying to get by. And then, yeah, like eventually, yeah, you're going to go crazy. Like, of course you are because you're working four jobs and you're barely figuring it out. The price of living is nuts. Yeah, it's insane. Food costs, gas. Yeah. You know? And like how much you look at your paycheck, how much comes out in taxes. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's tough. Like look how much we're paying for college. Yeah. I'm screwed personally. Like, oh, my <laughs> God, I don't even want to look at next the year. numbers. And no, it stresses me out just thinking about it. Yeah. But then like I, I get it. I, yeah. I understand the, 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 the lead up to that crisis. Yeah. But I feel like there should be more resources allocated to help people that have reached that final point of that problem. Yeah, I feel like Point Park's got a lot of that going on. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's probably a lot of people here that are not doing too well. I feel like that's just... It's probably everywhere. Especially, like, our generation of kids. Like, yeah. I know, I know a lot of people who are who have suffered and are currently suffering from mental health and you know it's it's the unfortunate reality i'm sure everybody in this room knows at least one person oh yeah um and it's sad because your option is either you 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 get heavily heavily medicated Mm -hmm. or you just kind of thug it out like really (laughs) like for there's no it's it's tough like you there's not really any other options other than that and either way sucks it sucks. Simple as that. I think especially also like the financial aspect of that. Like you, you know, if you're just thugging it out, but you have no money, you can't yeah. even go to therapy. You can't even like, you don't even have a bed to cry in. Like and then there's just, it's like layers on top of layers, yeah. this issue. It's it's not funny, but that no. was funny. Yeah. That was, yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of what you have to do is like, there. I feel like there are just people in this country that just are kind of floating around, just kind of existing and they're probably getting crazier by the day and it's not even really their fault yeah they're being kicked while they're down yeah every day it's like oh what's gonna happen today and i think our generation has we probably have a lot of un like dealt with like trauma we're in regard to mass shootings like that's probably something that a lot of us have to deal with Mm yeah yeah I know my, me personally, like my little sister is still in high school and I, it's happened at least three times since the year has started. She's been in lockdown and had to mm. get sent, like been, you know, locked in a classroom. I just get a text. Hey, I'm in lockdown. Like, I'm OK, but I'll let you know what happens. And like for me, like it's my little sister. She's 17 years old, yeah. like I'm or 16 years old. <laughs> um, And I'm like. And it's, you know, my heart drops every time I get that text. Mm-hmm. And I remember not even that long ago being in school how many times. I my, my, my sophomore year, we got sent home three times in the span of two weeks wow. because of, like, gun violence threats. Where are you from? Uh, Mount Pleasant. Uh, okay. Like, yeah, by Greensburg. That's a lot. I never had that many in high school. Uh, me neither. I never. That's crazy. There was. I don't know if it's just the area that I come from because it is like I don't know, like very cows and farms and like pastures. So a lot of people have access to weapons because yeah, there's probably a lot of guns. Over yeah, there. there's there's a lot of guns yeah. in the area, so a lot of things happen. <laughs> Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. I never had that many. I think I had like one or two. Never at my Maybe. school. Maybe. There were some of the schools near me that had some of the public schools near me back home were some of them had like bomb threats. 
Yeah. I think we had I think we had one of those. I think it was fake though. <laughs> Yeah. There was there was one um, I heard I don't remember who told me this story but I heard my my one friend tell me a story about a bomb threat in their school and they it was like a note that said the bomb was in the toilet like if you flushed it it would set off the bomb <laughs> the principal just goes in the bathroom and just flushes the toilet nothing happens and they all just go back to class oh jeez <laughs> oh jeez that's a different kind of bomb <laughs> that's a different kind of bomb for real that's a something uh, else. that's a real problem yeah. that's a different situation the school's got to deal with that um. Yeah, that, it's it, it's a that's a tricky one because also like I can't imagine what it's like being a parent. No, I can't imagine what that's like. I mean, my mom, my mom's a teacher, and she that's like double. That's yeah. like worse. I mean, she's done majority of her like consistent like teaching has been in Catholic school. Okay, and, I mean, I, I grew up going to Catholic school. I went to private school for high school. Luckily, I was fortunate enough to not um, have any of these these sort of scares for mm-hmm. like a better term with stuff like this but my mom did sub in the public school where i'm from for uh, a, a while while she was like raising me and my two brothers and mm-hmm. i mean the shit that goes on is, yeah it was, she was scary like i I, uh, I know somebody who does um they teach in inner uh inner city philly mm-hmm. and they like that stuff's scary like this, the this, the 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 kids are exposed to this in and outside the classroom. Yeah, and that's where it's like, whoa, maybe we should look at other things in society. Yeah, we should look at sort of what goes on in the home life. Sure, because that's that's where it all starts. Yeah, like you, that's where like any sort of mental health really starts whether people want to admit that or not like it starts at a young age like mm-hmm. you, you're not around other people until you're what like five like, you don't go to school yeah four or five yeah. you're not consistent until you're no. consistently so around like any other like deep rooted trauma 95 percent of the time is coming from when you're really rooted in the home life and even four or five you go to preschool man like yeah really, you know yeah going to going out or you know hanging out with friends i mean maybe you are i don't know but like if like that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. It starts in the home life, and I feel like yeah. that's another thing that needs to be addressed. Is sort of, you know, allowing or having resources where if kids have a shit home life, they can kind of get out and sort of not fall victim to that. Trend, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Anyone's thoughts on that? Anything else? Yeah, Eddie. I think it's just a very multifaceted issue. Like, yeah, it is. I think no yeah. matter what, there's no just one solution to this problem. It's not like, oh, if we ban all guns, then all gun violence will go away. Or if we Probably make not. all people take, you know, regular therapy sessions for years so that they can work through their trauma, I don't think it's going to fix it. I think, mm-hmm. you know, we got to look at mental health, the economy, like economic state of the world, people being homeless and that kind of thing. And, yeah. and gun regulation. I think it all needs to work together to fix this problem. There's a social media aspect too. These, I imagine, like like these are kid. They're trying to get clout. They're trying to get their name. And unfortunately, I think we're in a situation where, yeah, we almost glor we glorify it too much. Like it's a horrible thing. We need to talk about it. But I think there's to an extent of like, do we need to give the person airtime? Do we need to put their picture on the screen? Probably not. Like, don't give them any sort of maybe. I think social media definitely doesn't help. I mean, I mm-hmm. think our generation can sort of talk about this best because we experienced and grew up with how social media has evolved over mm-hmm. the last, I'd say, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Like it was, I remember like old Instagram. Like it is com- 
completely different than how it is now. Yeah. And I feel yeah. like, you know, it's it, it's it's scary mm. what goes on on there. Yeah. And, you know, you have those. I remember, like, back in middle school, like, you have those teachers. It's like, oh, you, you get those lectures about the dangers of social media. Yeah. None of us wanted to listen to it. Not no. Really, because you're, like, you're 12. You're like, oh, I'm going to, you know. And also, it's coming from a person that's has, probably way older than yeah. you. That's like, are you even on Instagram? It's yeah. like, no. If it came from a person that was on the platform, maybe we would have listened a little bit yeah. better. And then yeah. we, we put these people on pedestals on social media who, like, aren't really great human beings for mm -hmm. like most of it but you know we but also like the people that we do put on pedestals become influencers for the younger kids yeah and they become like a symbol of something symbol sure. of beauty or success or something like that and they have these like on video they have great lifestyles yeah you know but they're the way that they portray it is unobtainable. Yeah, it's all fabricated. It's all... Yeah. They're all just posing for the picture. Yeah. They're figuring out how to make their life yeah. look the best. And I think that it, that probably does fuck up kids. It does. A I lot. Remember, I mean, I remember, <laughs> yeah. growing, I remember growing up watching, like, the FaZe Clan videos. Like, the FaZe face House New York. And yeah. these guys are like, oh, that's so sick. Like, I want to, I want to, you know... It's a mess. <laughs> behind the, It's probably a mess behind the oh, scenes. It's like, I remember a couple months ago, FaZe Rain came out. And he's like, I've been in rehab for months. I was like... Yeah. What? They're probably all on drugs. Yeah. They don't They're own, all on drugs. They don't own any of the company. No. It's 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 all unobtainable. And it's all fake. Yeah. But it's it's very hard to convince a 12 or a 13-year-old to not go for that. That it's fake. Yeah. You know? Because and even and there, there's also like the dark side of social media where there's, you know, you get catfished and all that Yeah. disgusting stuff that yeah. actually makes me sick to my stomach, but I I, I think social media is is it's no man's land. Yeah, that's a problem. And I want to get back to this because, um, Matt, you brought up, because I think this may have actually been like a point of disagreement that I think we can discuss. You have mentioned like the, the more the government knows, the less you trust it, the maybe the more skeptical you are. You don't want them knowing. Maybe you, Maybe we don't want them knowing that these weapons are registered. Is there any sort of... Is not in that in your mind? Does that apply to all weapons? Does that apply to just some? It, it, I think it applies to all weapons. Okay. Because we should have. I feel that we should have access to military grade technology. Okay. I think it would. I just think it's cool. Okay, but what are the societal ramifications of that? How do we make sure that it doesn't get into the hands of the wrong people? Or are you and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm just saying, are you, are you saying that 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 is maybe an argument that's used to keep stuff out of the hands of people whenever maybe it should be? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll say that. So like, um, I had a train of thought and it just left. I, I can't okay, remember. but that's what I'm curious about because you're saying that we should have. And when you say military grade, like F-35s. That seems a little dangerous to me. I don't know how to fly one of those. Or do you mean like the $30,000 night vision goggles that I should have bought for myself instead of going to Point Park? Which one are we thinking of here? Both. Really? Yeah. Because. Okay. How do we figure, how does that work? I'm curious about how. 
Yeah, can you explain this a little bit more, maybe? Part of the Second Amendment that everyone always forgets about is also the right to create um, militias, your own militias. Okay. Which are basically private militaries that you can use to defend your hometown. Sure. And well-regulated is also part of the language. Yeah. So what does well-regulated look like? My question to you is, is our F-35s a well-regulated militia? The, lo- the, the farmer in Iowa that has a local militia. I'm curious, like, are, are rocket launchers, is that well-regulated? That's my question. That's my question for you. Because I think the, I think the well-regulated part is where we get stuck up on a lot of this stuff. Like we say, we want a well-regulated militia. What does that look like in 2023? What does that look like in this current time? That's a good question. Um, um, does anyone have any thoughts on that, yeah. Pat? Um, I mean, me personally, I would love a Black Hawk helicopter. I'm not gonna lie. That would be fire. I'm not even gonna lie. That would, I said the F-35 jokingly. I would love to fly one of those. I would love. That'd be just sick. Like sit out the door of a Black Hawk would be awesome. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> that would be sick. But I mean, you, if you knew the right people and you have the money, you can acquire this stuff. Like uh, the military. Well, the term. Let me say the term military grade. Military grade equipment is not the best. Okay, there's better shit. Yeah, the civilian market is much better than military grade. That's all I'm saying. Because military grade, like those Humvees and stuff, or the helicopters, they need constant support. Like they, they yeah. need to be fixed. Like maintenance, yeah. refueling. Like even, all I mean, the even, gas alone in today's economy. Yeah. I mean, even like for a Blackhawk. Yeah. Right. Can you imagine the insurance claim on a Black Hawk helicopter? Can you imagine what it's like to refuel an F thirty five? It's yeah, thousands I, of dollars. It's not fitting on my in my driveway, but no, it's not. You know, it's not fitting down its sheets either. No, but it's the the civilian market is much better than the military grade equipment. I mean, obviously, there are some aspects that you know the the PA National Guard isn't going to have what the green berets have like obviously what the green Mm -hmm. berets have or what dev grew has or something like that is going to be much better than what you can get on the civilian market sure but um like the m4 it's a great rifle right like it's 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 effective it's proven itself time and time again but there are better rifles out there Mm -hmm. on the civilian market like sig just got the new military contract you can buy that rifle that was that is being built for the military in a civilian capacity Obviously, it's not going to have fully automatic capabilities, but it's the same rifle. Chamber's the same round. So if you... Now, when you get to, like, equipment-wise, mm-hmm. I don't think that civilians should have tanks. That kind of scares me. I'm not going to lie. I, yeah. You can't... You piss off your neighbor and he rolls out an M1 Abrams from his garage. That's that's a scary thought right there. And if anyone listening to this show thinks that Americans wouldn't do that... Reevaluate where you are. Look at the country you're living yeah. in. Because I, would I fly a Black Hawk helicopter? Absolutely. <laughs> like, if I could have a minigun in the doors as well, I would. I'm not going to lie, because that would be awesome. Just, just, just to maybe, sh- even shooting it at nothing, like, just oh, into yeah. the sand. Yeah, that'd be so much fun. Can you imagine? <laughs> that'd be awesome. I'm, obviously, I'm not going to use it in any violent way let me preface that but if i could just like in case the government's listening to this exactly (laughs) 
for future job prospects, I do not want to use a <laughs> helicopter in any violent way. But like, I live across the state. If I can avoid driving and I could fly a helicopter from here back home, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Be a lot quicker. Be a lot quicker. You don't got to deal with the four pit tunnels anymore. Oh, no, it'd be a lot cooler. Those too. are the worst. Yeah, it'd be a lot cooler, you know? Like, Pittsburgh uh, driving got a lot easier. Now just yeah. land your helicopter on the top of the UPMC building. Yeah, and then I could parachute off the UPMC building. All right, we're getting a little lost yeah. in the weeds here. This is very fun. But, okay, does anyone have any thoughts on Matt's take that we should have more access? Any other thoughts on this? More access to stuff? I just sure. wonder how imminent we think a government like take like takeover is. I don't know. I feel like we worry a lot about like, you know, something like what happened with Hitler happening again, but I feel like not that it's obviously impossible cuz obviously anything's possible. Mm -hmm. But I do wonder why we feel such a need to prepare ourselves for something that I don't think is going to be coming anytime <laughs> soon. Well, I could make the argument that that's what the Germans thought. I mean, that's what the Soviets thought. That's valid, but I do think we're like the time period. We have to look at the time period. We have to look at the things that we have now, the resources and things that we have now. Like back when Hitler did this, people couldn't spread information. He was mm -hmm. taking over places that couldn't, you know, let other the next place know that they were ne like they were marching for that place next. We have lines of information that communicate so quickly. We can talk to other people from other countries. Like I just think that with the things that we have today, something like that happening so easily, like the way that it happened back then, is not that possible. Like, it's not impos impossible, but it's not that possible. Okay. Pat? Yeah, I, I, I don't think that it's... Now, in, in, in movie sense, it's possible. But when you really think about it, like, I, I, I've heard this argument a lot where it's like, oh, if the government does ban firearms... It'll be the police and the military confiscating them. I don't know if people are really aware how pro Second Amendment a lot of police and military people probably are. Yeah. I yeah. know people who are cops and the stuff that they have is unreal. Like they, yeah. they have their I, I know a guy who, who's an avid gun collector and he used to be a state trooper. Mm -hmm. He like that's the and even like, oh, the government's going to crack down. What are they going to use? The army? They're some of the most patriotic people in the world. They're not going to crack down on, you know, their families, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, I think it's unrealistic, but it's, you, you can't take it out of account. You know what I mean? Okay. Because then it's, I mean, in today's day and age, they don't, they might not necessarily even need the military to do it with. No, I don't think so. No, you can cyber, cyber stuff. They yeah. have, you know, stuff like that. It's, that's, that's the stuff I'm scared about is cyber capabilities. Yeah, I guess maybe the, the argument, there's maybe a better argument that they're not going to come and physically confiscate the weapons, no. but they're going to use social media. They're going to use, I mean, from, from what I've seen, they've already, got, they've already got the tech companies in their back pocket. Oh, yeah. They can kind of make them do whatever they want. Yeah, like, like so, you said, like, I mean. Sorry, Trevor, do you have thoughts? We'll get to you. Um, I was just going to say that this, uh, the argument about the government having less regulations because they would take away is very the theological. It's um, philosophical in, in a sense. Like, um, in theory, that is a, that could be a concern. W will it happen? Likely not. However, that's, 
I feel like that is why the um, issue is presented. It's probably not going to happen, but it could. So we mm-hmm. need to prevent it from happening. And uh, to elaborate on the point of uh, police having firearms, it was actually uh, in the case of Heller v. D.C., it was uh, U.S. v. Heller was the – Heller was uh, – suing to have his firearms permit in D.C. was a police officer in uh, the Metropolitan Police Department. Oh, can you not have... Doing... Well, after that case, they said it was like that you couldn't have... You had to have like a special license, like to have it at home or something yeah, like that. Yeah, because DC technically isn't a state. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're gonna have different gun laws yeah. than other yeah, places. Was, they yeah. were real stringent back before this case. Gotcha. Yeah, he was a police officer who yeah. said, "I want a gun for home to defend myself and my family," and sued all the way up to the Supreme Court, and argued that the government didn't have the right to take away his right to bear arms. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that would also strengthen your point on uh, police and uh, the role of firearms for private use there. Yeah, that is actually a good point that I don't think we talk about a lot, is that there's probably a lot of people, if the government did try to weaponize the police and the military against people, there's probably a lot of them that would say, no, we're not doing that. Oh, yeah. And probably enough of them that they could stop it from happening. Like, they don't, like, they they realize that how well-armed the civilian population is Mm. they don't want to get shot at by you know they don't want to like by my uncle yeah you're walking they don't want to get shot at by him down the street like yeah like you you have you already have a target on your back as a police officer to begin with you know yeah you do or as anyone in the military anyone in the armed services like you have a target you have a target on your back like if you have to strap on body armor for a job you have a target on your back yeah was that um but they they recognize the fact that they're outnumbered severely, mm-hmm. severely outnumbered by like a hundred to one. There's there's a, a Chinese general that once said that is a bad idea to invade the U.S. because there's a firearm behind every blade of grass. It was either yeah. or Japanese, I forget. Either way, so that's another part of the conversation is like, does I don't think that ground, other than maybe these hot spots like Ukraine, Israel, Palestine, places like that. I'm curious as to how common actual ground invasions are in this current time when we have cyber warfare, we have tactical nukes, we have autonomous weapon systems. We don't really need to ground invade a country, but if someone tried, like, good luck getting through Texas. That's my thought. It's like, how are you going to get through Texas without just blowing it up? You can't really probably get through any of these i bet there's parts of california you couldn't even get through up up north where it's like really conservative it it works where in countries i mean we did it in iraq Mm -hmm. they were more technologically or they weren't as technologically advanced as us and you know a lot of those like we were going through iraq and a lot of the iraqis were just surrendering because they weren't like the only real people were the uh, the iraqi guard like saddam's like secret police that were yeah but like strategically you want to evade the u.s say it's china Right. Sure. Say you get through, you know, we'll probably if they try to invade, we'd interdict them at sea. Say you get through the Navy. All right. Mm-hmm. Theoretically speaking. All right. You go to invade. East and West Coast, you had then have to deal with Coast Guard and other federal maritime units, mm-hmm. you know, Border Patrol, any local SWAT teams, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, say you get past them. You now have. Regular army, 
plus mm-hmm. reservists and National Guard. Yep. Say you get through them. You then have paramilitary units within the U.S., meaning like SWAT teams or other law enforcement special operations. Uh-huh. And then my uncle. And then my yeah. uncle's last on yeah. the list with yeah. his, his guns. Yeah. You have to get through all those people. And say you do get to the civilian population, theoretically, your military is so worn thin. And they know it's coming, too. Yeah. So they've done whatever organizing they yeah. can. Yeah. That's like trying to... You ever seen that show where they like run through all like the glass doors? No. It's like there's there's like a game show where they try to run through a bunch of glass. That's what it's like. That's and so... The further you get, the harder it gets. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that's, that's maybe... what it's like. Maybe that's an argument for why we should have. But again, I th- I kind of agree with you is like, ah, it's kind of a situation. Maybe this is a situation where <laughs> where we kind of are like, ah, should we or should we not have the guns up until the point where it happens? And then we're like, ah, we're glad. Yeah. It's I don't know. Like, is it is that a, a situation where maybe like we have to. Is this a situation where maybe we have to put up with and not put up with? I don't want to say put up with, but. Is this a situation where we have to accept a little bit of the bad to also get the good? Trevor? Um, I would say yes. Um, and uh, we'd have to do one of the hardest things to do in the American uh, system, and that is compromise. Ah, yes. Yeah. Com- compromise. Don't uh, say that word around us. <laughs> we don't like it. Compromise by uh, addressing the issue from all sides. Uh, mm. So health, uh, gun violence, um, gun rights, like address every aspect of it and collectively figure out a solution that uh, can work for everybody. It might not mm. be the best solution for everybody, but it's one that can work for everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyone else's thoughts? Pat? I agree. Um, I mean, the only way that we're going to solve any issue in this country is to come to an agreement on things, mm-hmm. which historically is impossible for the American <laughs> public. Um, it's possible. I, I've, I've seen that it's, it's possible right when the cliff is like here. Yes. <laughs> like right whenever the car is about to, it's kind of like in the movies, whenever they slam on the brakes and the, the two front wheels of the car go over the cliff, but it doesn't quite, we're really good at that. Or when it's like once, <laughs> once, once we've bled. Yeah. You know, like yeah. no one wants to no one want to deal with Al-Qaeda, 9/11, boom, everyone's like, let's go. Let's, let's get, get them. them. Let's yeah. get them, right? Same thing with World War II. We yeah. were like, ah, Pearl Harbor happens, we're going over yeah, there. Yeah, it was like we didn't want I mean, that was a bad play on the Japanese's part, but it, we, yeah. it was no one wants to be involved in World War II. No. And then they attacked us and everyone's like, "You know what? Forget what I said. Let's go." Yeah. Right? So yeah. it was once you're once once patriotism is brought into it, I feel like that's a different conversation. But sure. like common agreements on domestic political issues, I don't know the last time that anyone has come to agreements on really anything domestically within the last say hundred years of this country. Because it's, yeah, I don't know about a hundred, but definitely in the last like twenty, it's been pretty yeah, tough. It's very tough. Yeah, and I mean, like like you said, nothing's going to change until. People come to an agreement, which they won't. But yeah, there's hope. Sure. Any other thoughts on gun rights regulation? Are you ready to move on? Mm-hmm. Okay. Final topic is climate change. Any opening <laughs> opening statements from anybody about climate change? No. No. Okay. First question: How do we balance? Because this is the, this is the conversation I see happening. How do we balance? 
how do we balance the third world coming up with they're going to be emitting carbon? A lot of them are. Like Africa is going to be the most developed. That's going to be the, the continent with the most development, I think, over the next like 50 years, they've said. Africa is going to shoot up. They're going to industrialize. Unless we give them, unless they go for clean energy right off the bat, they're going to be emitting carbon. So how do we figure out the net, the net zero carbon thing in the U.S.? And how do we – essentially what I'm asking is like are we, are we going to be the people that go to the third world and say, nope, no developing because that's carbon and we don't want you emitting carbon in the world? Addie? I don't think so. I think with the, a lot of the plans that a lot of countries have put forward recently um planning to be carbon neutral by like whatever timeline that they had been setting a lot of people like 2050 whatever mm. random years they throw out um i think if we are looking at that as like an issue as developing countries producing carbon i think the way to offset it is obviously for progress like uh for you know progressed countries to go carbon neutral so that way instead of mm. you know this country's developing and they're producing all this this carbon and we're also just producing this carbon, but we've been doing it for years. Like, mm-hmm. we have the capabilities to go carbon neutral. We have the technology. We have the resources available to us. We can do it. And a lot of countries are planning to do it. Mm-hmm. So I think if this is, a, you know, an object of concern for people, then why don't we all go carbon neutral, let these developing countries, you know, work it out until they can get to the point where they can be carbon neutral. Obviously, ideally, a developing country, if they can develop while being carbon neutral that would be ideal obviously but Mm. that might not entirely be possible you know so i think you know the rest of the country should make up for it okay thoughts on that anybody trevor um well i agree with that goes back to my uh point i made during american interventionism the united states using its soft power its Mm -hmm. prestige in the world um, we can do that through um, climate change initiatives, uh, through uh, creating green energy or green uh, sustainable um, industry. Um, we are the number one economy, economy in the world. Mm-hmm. We uh, have the largest GDP. Um, we can make it happen. Um, we just choose not to because mm-hmm. of uh, certain factors within it's a lot of big money yeah. in government. There's a lot of lobbyists, that kind of thing. But we have the <coughs> we have the capability, and if we can, let's be honest, the West and um, China and um, all the big uh, powers, they're the ones that pollute the most. So mm-hmm. if we're gonna use our soft power and prestige, why don't we lead by example by? Uh, creating mm-hmm. industries that are carbon neutral and whatnot. Okay. You know, it's Pat. Um, I mean, I, I would like to see less carbon emission in the world uh, because, you know, I don't want to sort of, I don't, I don't want to see the, 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 the ramifications that this is going to have. I mean, it probably won't happen within our lifetimes, but it's probably our kids or our grandkids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I think that a carbon neutral initiative in the world is not going to happen unless the U.S. gets involved. Because okay. I mean, you look at China. China's the number one polluter in the world. Yeah, like they burn so much coal. Yeah, 
it's unreal. They're dumping waste into rivers that mm-hmm. you know sort of spread out into the ocean and stuff like that. I mean, you look at how, like, I mean, India yeah. pollutes a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're not going to change unless mm-hmm. someone steps. And who who else would step in? The Brits? What are they going to do? The Germans mm-hmm. and the French? No one's going to listen to the Germans and the French. No. Russia's not going to step in because they know that, you know, they... It, They've been backed into a corner by the international community. Yeah. And all of a sudden we're going to go, hey, by the way, they're, also fix your... Yeah. That's my follow-up question is like, we can go carbon neutral. Yeah. But how do we get China? How do we get China to go carbon neutral? How do you get India? How do you get Russia? Because these are not places that are friendly with us to begin with. So how do you get them? Because we're not even the biggest... Obviously, I... We, okay, let's say we should go carbon neutral. The, how much of a dent does that even put in the big picture? Short term, it doesn't. Long term, I mean, it, it, it. I'm no scientist, so I don't really know. I'm not very well versed in this, but mm-hmm. I, I think in American intervention is a big thing. I don't think this. This is not a short term thing. Like this is not something yeah. that's going to happen overnight. Like you, like the the money that's in oil is big. Like mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Like we go carbon neutral, you can Saudi Arabia's gonna lose their money. Yeah. I mean there's there's clean ways to burn oil and gas and I know a lot like the US is big, like I know a lot of places have sort of, you know, found cleaner ways to burn gas and frack and stuff like that. Um again, I'm no scientist, so I don't really know a lot about this, but I mean I, I worked worked for PennDOT this past summer and mm-hmm. all the trucks were they, they they revamped all the dump trucks to effectively burn gas and oil in a clean manner. Okay. Again, I don't know what that means. I just know that there's a sticker Neither on the truck. Neither do I. There's, there's a no experts. On, there's a sticker on the here. truck, and, you know, the a lot of places preach that. I mean, you see the PAP buses. They say, like, yeah. oh, burning clean Pennsylvania gas. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I, I don't think that there are ways that we're going to solve this without being involved. And also I think that that the the technology is there Mm -hmm. to become carbon neutral, you know, but the, like you look at electric cars, Tesla, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Polestar, stuff like that. Yeah. They run on batteries and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think they're pretty cool personally. Like that's, Mm -hmm. it's a battery powered car, but what goes into making the batteries? Lithium. Those lithium mines are not great for the no. Like they're, they're not massive craters. So unless we can find a better way, to cobalt too. The cobalt, cobalt ones are mining. really yeah. bad. And look at over in the Congo, they're look horrible. You, look at how you mine cobalt. Slave labor. Yeah, it's all you know, slave labor. It's all slave labor. Yeah, and they are no PPE, nothing. No Just hands, no face mask, nothing. No. And look at how you dispose of those batteries. They dump them in a field. Yeah. They dump them in a landfill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So unless we can like... Sorry. Ra- wrap it up, Pat. Unless we can find a way to sort of clean up the way we build the technology, then that'll sort of be the stepping stone to more advances in that way. Okay. I definitely agree. I agree with that. And I think... But I think looking at through the viewpoint of the technology that we have to make things, you know, more green is bad. So why are we even bothering to go green? Because and, and again, with other countries that, that you know produce produce more carbon than we do, oh well, even if we go carbon neutral, like they're still going to be producing all this carbon. So what's the point of us, you know, going neutral? I think mm. 
that viewpoint is what is harmful and standstill in this, you know, battle against climate change and the environment changing. The ramifications of this stuff is going to be coming up a lot sooner than we think it's going to be. In our life, like, we're already reaping the consequences of climate change. Think of this summer, even. It was 95 degrees the entire summer, and then the Mm. next, like, the day after a 95-degree day, it was 60 degrees outside. Mm -hmm. And now it's cold and we can't get it, you know, back up. And every summer in the past five years has been a new record, the new hottest summer, you know. Mm -hmm. Last year, I think, 2022 is the hottest year on record. So Mm -hmm. we are facing these consequences now. So while we might not have, you know, the best technology to do this kind of things, or while when we go carbon neutral, not everyone else is, I'd I feel like that shouldn't matter in the grand scheme of things. I think putting our best foot forward and doing as much as we possibly can to, to um, you know, n- minimize our carbon footprint and, uh, and make sure we're going more green, I think that is what we should be focusing on. Okay. Matt? Um, I feel like before we even try to go green, we need to finalize the technology, like, required to do that. Okay. What do you mean by finalize? I mean, or not like finalized, but like actually create proper technology. Okay. Is there any particular area of clean energy that you're looking at? Like wind, solar? Nuclear. Nuclear. Okay. That was my next follow-up question, by the way. So we'll go into nuclear after your thoughts here. I feel like if we can get, if we can understand more, like how to create better like energy in a better way than than burning carbon then we can go green but bef- but not before we okay. figure out the way okay why do you feel that way because i feel like the way that we are we have been doing it works okay okay any thoughts on that the way we've been doing it do you mean like the way we've been producing green energy or do you mean just the way that we've been like non non-green energy like just the way we've been doing it yeah just the way we've been doing it non-green energy I feel like I disagree with that statement that it works. Yes, it gets the job done, but we've seen the ram like oil is not forever. We're not just always going to have a supply of oil. That's going to run out one day, mm-hmm. no matter what. Yeah. So like, yeah, sure, it's working right now, but I don't think that should just be the way that we think about it. I don't think we should just be, oh, well, it works right now, so let's not even worry about going and venturing into anything else. Well, Matt, are you are you saying that we should go into clean energy as soon as the technology is ready? Yes. Okay. Okay. As soon as the technology is there, like we can start transitioning, but not, but not before. I think. Okay, I think I think the I think with that though, how much of our funding and energy are we putting into green energy? Like we're I don't we're not putting nearly as much effort into that. Mm-hmm. I feel I feel like you know I don't I don't have the numbers on that, but I do yeah, think I, that it's probably not as much as we're putting into like the military. Yeah, like our probably we, <laughs> as much money. We spend more money on our defense spending than the next ten countries combined. So yeah. So it and you know whatever reason we have for that, but like yeah. we're not putting nearly that much effort into our green energy um, things. Okay, so how because my thought is like how do you you can't really make wind work here. You probably can't make solar work here. The sun doesn't shine in PA. PA, PA is <laughs> PA is actually one of the leading states in nuclear energy. Yeah. So should we embrace any thoughts on nuclear energy? Should we embrace it? Should we not embrace it, Trevor? Um, I feel like in the 1970s when we were really getting into nuclear energy, mm-hmm. we were onto something. Um, 
renewable, sustainable energy. The only real problem, honestly, with nuclear energy is disposing of nuclear waste. Yeah. Um, other than that issue, it's effectively a clean, sustainable energy. Mm-hmm. We've had, of course, you had meltdowns at Three Mile Island, Chernobyl. Fukushima. Fukushima. People aren't don't want to use nuclear energy because of all that. But all three of those were all caused by human error. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think the death toll of Fukushima is single digits. It's minuscule. I think it's single digits. I think Three Mile Island was single I, I don't want to say that because i actually don't know the death it count was also from minuscule compared the both of them compared to chernobyl was huh yeah yeah chernobyl's the really bad one yeah. that's the one that left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths but from what i've heard nuclear reactors now are pretty sweet like they're they're really really efficient and they're really safe yeah they're and they're also cheaper yeah like, i mean i'm not saying they're they're like you know 20 bucks cheaper. no <laughs> like they're 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 is much... it cheaper than a semester at point park no <laughs> no i can't buy a nuclear reactor um but it's it's cheaper than oil but you know it's 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 tough because you know um with it's cheaper than gas yes but mm-hmm. the after effects is where you kind of get caught up in the technicality you know what i mean okay it's like like the batteries, they're a great idea, but the creation of disposal kind of offsets the, um, the benefit of them. Okay. And you know, with like like you said, like they they bury the nuclear waste under mountains, and then they transport them, and then yeah, that's not great. I'm again, I don't know. Yeah, I'm that... no nuclear physicist, but that doesn't sound great. I wish Jeremiah was here. So I wish Jeremiah was here for this. They typically bury them out in the desert. Yeah. They're out in like Arizona, Nevada, stuff like that. that yeah. Like no. And yeah, I mean, that's, I, that's that's where it's kind of it's like, oh, this is awesome, you know? I mean, like it's it's cool stuff. Don't get me wrong. Like nuclear reactors are pretty cool. Like we have nuclear power subs and aircraft carriers yeah, that's like sick. that, which is sick. I'm not gonna lie. Like that's pretty cool. Like this is something out of like Star Wars or Star Trek or something. But again, the like the environmental ramifications that the the after there it's so great has is like. It's That's actually something I've never even like really heard about or like ever touched on with nuclear. Eddie, something thoughts? Yeah, I was just gonna say I, I definitely I I see like you know that does I think nuclear is you know something we need to be working on. You know, it's something that the disposal of it specifically is something that we should be figuring out because mm-hmm. n- nuclear energy is beneficial to us. Like that is like one of our you know not the easiest but like you know one of the most efficient ways of going green. Yeah. And I definitely agree with, like, what you were saying, like, working on it until, like, not, you know, fully establishing places as, like, green with nuclear energy until we figure out what to do with that, definitely. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I think wind energy, solar energy, I don't think we, you know, we should completely throw those off. <laughs> off no, no I, don't, I don't think yeah. so either, but I'm saying, like, solar's not going to work here. No. It's I mean, it, not... it does. There is a lot of places that run off solar energy. Sure. But, like, then we have three months of no sun and it's like, well, this isn't great. We just have like cloudy days. I think it could work, but I think like nuclear, but that's interesting. Yeah. I, I don't think we should throw it either. I think it's like there are plenty of places where wind and solar are going to be great. 
Yeah. Like, do it out in the places where it's sunny. I think I think even if you you know if we put those places in like specialized areas where mm-hmm. like there's the most wind in this area, so we put the wind in, like the wind turbines in this area and there's mm-hmm. more sun, whatever. But it can f- power a bigger scale if we work on it. Yeah. You know, progress the technology more and more. It can work on a bigger scale and power bigger things than just like one area that doesn't get a lot of sunlight. Okay. Even when it comes to like water and stuff, like hydro dams, yeah. like they're only effective in certain regions. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a it's a good thought all around, and it's all very interesting, and very complex beyond my minuscule understanding of these problems. But it's, I mean, like like I think we can all agree that it's how great there are. There are serious setbacks in everything. Yeah, and. The unfortunate reality is that, you know, gas is beneficial for everybody right now. Mm -hmm. No matter how bad it is for the environment, it's unfortunately the best option that we have until we can figure out something better. And, you know, I feel like we are on the the brink of serious scientific discovery with a lot of this stuff, Mm -hmm. technological advances. Like, I I could see a lot of this coming out within the next couple of years, Mm -hmm. like, probably next i say with stuff like like, nuclear fission and stuff like that they're gonna figure out maybe sure but i mean i'm sure they've already figured out a lot of this stuff like um but they're trying to test it and perfect it yeah or you know i'm I'm sure that you know nasa has figured stuff out or you know defense contractors or something like that you know there's there's a lot of money in this because you know it benefits all sectors of industry it benefits commercial it benefits you know defense spending defense you know build up and stuff like that mm-hmm. economics so it's it's interesting but mm-hmm. we're, we're right there but we're not where it is going to be completely effective i think yeah. the, the problem a lot is we look at things in the short term we look at uh, oil yeah. makes us money now oil makes everything now like you know we don't like we make we're making money we're stimulating the economy now we don't think about the long-lasting ramifications and how yeah. we need to, like how, you know, like I said earlier, oil is not forever. We need mm-hmm. to be working towards yeah. a different solution. So I think we, I think overall the government on this issue specifically needs to look a little more long-term yeah, for that's, longer solutions. That's the problem with Americans is that they want immediate mm-hmm. success. Yeah, we want it now. Yeah. And we want the new iPhone now, Pat. Exactly. <laughs> and that's it's not, made of titanium. That's pretty cool. I can't lie. <laughs> It's kind of sick. It's kind of sick. Okay, well, Matt, I want to go back to you, Matt, for a second. So, and I don't, I'm not meaning to like put you on the spot with this, but in your mind, what is, what is the point? Like, is there a specific point where we get to where you would say, yeah, this technology is viable enough that we should do a, a widespread implementation of it in like wherever we can? Like, is there a threshold? Is there a place where you'd say, now we're ready? Probably when we figure out how to make batteries without just like make batteries more efficiently and just okay more efficiently. Okay, so that would apply to like wind and solar, like capturing the energy into batteries. Yeah. And, okay. And even like um, fission, like with I know China is doing a lot of work with that. Like they had, yeah, they just recently, like not too long ago. held like the power of like the sun yeah they, like, they figured out something with fission i think yeah and again this is 
way out of yeah. I have I officially have no clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> fission and fusion are two different things. I think they're working on fission, is what they're working on. Okay, so then what's uh, is there there's an and an, maybe an energy independence aspect to this? Is that something that we should pursue, like energy independence from other countries, like especially now with the Ukraine war happening? Mm-hmm. We got a lot of Russian oil. That was where a lot of countries got their oil. Yeah. And now they're no longer doing that. And there was that big problem in Europe where like they were like struggling to get the, their energy needs up. Mm-hmm. I mean, the US has fracking capabilities. Like we okay. have we have oil reserves like PA, like there's a lot of oil that comes mm-hmm. out of PA, a lot of oil that comes out of Texas. Not much up here in the north, but a lot down in like southwestern U.S., there's you know you go up to Alaska, there's a lot up there. I mean, we we have the capabilities, but we don't have the reserve or the oil pockets under the U.S. to sustain the amount that we need. Right. So, but this is where kind of we have to you know deal with unsavory people in the world. Is you look around the world and who has oil Mm -hmm. the saudis yeah Eh. venezuela Eh. you know sure like i think brazil has a little bit but not as much as venezuela yeah saudis like the saudis are you know we're we're friendly with the saudis because you know we don't that they have because they buy out our golf leagues they buy they're just buying everything now they're just like buying our soccer teams like hey this is maybe although come on could we maybe not (laughs) take saudi money to go play golf and it's it's either we find a better solution. Well, in order to find a better solution, we have to deal with unsavory people. Sure. Support us to reach that solution. You know, Mm -hmm. like I I don't really, again, I'm not an oil expert, but I I do know that besides Russia, the other two biggest countries that have oil reserves are the Saudis and Venezuela. And Venezuela is not exactly in the most stable position they've ever been in currently. no and like i said the saudis aren't great people but I, I i don't i don't know how else we're gonna get oil yeah i mean we could we could do a little bit like i'd say grand scheme of things we could maybe support ourselves for 20 percent of the oil that we need mm-hmm. maybe i'm don't quote me on that but like we're gonna have to get it from somewhere else whether we like to think about that or not yeah addy I think green energy in that way can make us, you know, independent if we put the resources and things into that. We won't. Yeah. It kind of circles back to our discussion earlier about American intervention. It'll, you know, a lot of the reasons we get involved is because of oil. That's, you know, why we want to, you know, join these wars and hop in and be the world's police. So I feel like, you know, the green energy, if we can, you know, sustain it ourselves and we can put the ener- like the work forth to stabilize that kind of energy it'll free us basically yeah i love i love the meme where it's like a country finds oil and then it's like the the bugs bunny in front of the soviet flag and it's like you mean our oil <laughs> <It's> <laughs> the, uh, the key and peel skit yeah 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 <laughs> the yeah about to export some democracy <laughs> yeah 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 you mean it is for me like <laughs> that's like, that's what we do and i mean it's yeah well that was a part of my question is like should is that a reason that we should go into green energy is because 
if the world continues to get a little more unstable, mm-hmm. we should we should at least have some of the capability to get some of our own energy from home. Yeah, and if we are able to become energy independent and we find a way to, you know, effectively build and build, maintain, and dispose of green energy methods, then we don't have to be supporting, you know, slave labor operations in Africa and these mining places, yeah. or, you know, from China or who also utilize slave labor. Like it's... Yeah. Then we are on the moral high ground. Sure. And then the Saudis can just buy our golf leagues yeah. and not necessarily yeah. give us oil. They can yeah. just they can just buy stuff from yeah. us and we'll exactly. take their money that way. Exactly. Okay. Okay, anyone's thoughts on like carbon taxes for corporations? That's another aspect of this that I don't know I don't know anything about any of this by the way, but this is just what I hear. I hear a lot of talk about corporations and they and they they, they do get away with a lot of stuff that they shouldn't be able to get away with. So any thoughts on like the effectiveness of that? How do we make sure that corporations uh, uh, pay it back, I guess, like whatever you would call that, like essentially try to bring it back to net zero, I guess is what you'd say. Yeah. I think that is something that should be our top priority in the surge for towards green energy. Pay to pollute policies are, you know, obviously it's not the main cause of a lot of what's, you know, the pollution that's going into the air, but it gives companies this like pass basically to just not be and like first of all a lot of, co- of of companies will you know make those kind of promises where they're like oh we're going to go carbon neutral by whatever year and then yeah these pay to pollute policies you know if they pay the fine they're still within the bounds of what they're allowed to be within yeah so i think it gives these companies that sense of they're above the rules basically they can mm-hmm. just throw money at whatever problem they want and they can pollute the earth because of that. So I think policies like that are a main cause as to why we haven't moved towards that green energy. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they say a lot of things and they don't really do it. Like Google's like, don't be evil. And then one day they removed it and everyone in the world's like, what happened to that, guys? Yeah. <laughs> they just yeah. <laughs> they said, don't be evil. And they removed it without telling anybody. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about this stuff, but I feel like you kind of hit the, the nail on the head with that one. Um. Yeah, I, I. This is this is far out of my my wheelhouse here, but that's okay. Well, I guess like a- any concerns that you guys have, are there any concerns over something like that or over the lack of it? I guess. Yeah, Matt. Well, considering that the corporations are the, basically the people who own America. Yeah. Th- through lobbying and stuff, if that were to like come into like. If that were to be passed, like a carbon tax, mm-hmm. it could be used against smaller businesses as well, which wouldn't be good. Okay, in, in what way? Like, what are you thinking of with that? Well, I mean, are you saying that like the, are you saying like that the big corporations could the big corporations maybe have more ways to jump through the loopholes? Yeah, and then that sort of burden then falls on smaller businesses that can't do that. Yeah, that, that's kind of exact. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Okay, any thoughts on that? Because that I think is maybe a possibility, and that is maybe a little bit concerning. Because mm-hmm. they'll get away with whatever they can get away with. I think that is a big, you know, reason. As I think the corporations honestly do that kind of thing on purpose. Like the big yeah. corporations. That's why we have these movements, like the Save the Turtles. Don't you know, use plastic straws anymore, that kind of stuff. We put it on the burden of the people in the smaller countries. We put the world's, you know, 
um, environmental state on people when it's really it's not people. It's not these small corporations. Their their carbon footprint is this, while the big corporations' carbon footprint is a million times that. Yeah. So I think the these you know pay to pollute taxes and things like that. Corporations use this you know as a way to make smaller companies have to suffer the consequences for their actions basically okay trevor any thoughts on this um i'd like to agree with that point corporations have gotten away for a long time in this country with uh blaming the individual populace for the issue of pollution Mm -hmm. you don't recycle so it's not our fault it's yours and um if you look into it many of the recycle campaigns or banned plastic straws or like individual like Efforts to try and mitigate climate change—they're all funded by these oil corporations, these big corporations that like pollute the environment and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Because they're trying to shift the responsibility from themselves to the people, yeah, so that they don't have to answer for what they're doing. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think that they're gonna get away with whatever they can get away with. That's like, why I feel the responsibility has to be on the government. The government has to be making these laws, passing these bills, holding mm-hmm. these bigger corporations accountable because there's no one else to do it. Mm-hmm. They have all the money. They have all the power in these situations. There's no smaller companies that can hold the bigger companies accountable for. So it, it, it falls into the lap of the government. And mm-hmm. I think it also partially falls into the lap of people who are supporting certain corporations, mm-hmm. fast fashion companies and things like that. Yeah. Like yeah. – it when you buy their products and you you know support them in this way makes the things that they're doing think that it's okay. So I think yeah. the government has to step in and make the bigger companies listen. Okay, uh, Pat. Um, and also with that, like when they pay these pollution taxes, the tax goes to the government, and yeah, that money that they just paid in taxes is getting funneled into contracts with those same companies. So either way, the money's going back. You know sure. I mean? So it's like it's yeah. like a full circle. Yeah, that was my next question, is like, what do you do with the money that corporations are paying to pollute? Does that go... I'm assuming it just kind of gets like shuffled around yeah, it's, and it goes it into the pockets of the wrong it, people. Yeah, like mm-hmm. if, if it's Shell, for I don't know if Shell is a big polluter. I'm not sure whether it's the first company. If Shell has, like a gov- has a contract with the government, they pay... They're going to pay that pollution tax. And then if the money doesn't go to Shell, it's going to go to, I don't Chevron. know, Chevron or yeah. Lockheed Martin or something like that. Even yeah. If, even if Lockheed isn't polluting, it's still going to somewhere else. No, it's going to go into whatever brings the money back in. And Lockheed Martin is going to pay Shell for fuel to test their fighter jets and stuff. Sure. Like that. Yeah. So either way, the money's going back in one way, shape, or form. Yeah. So it kind of, it's like, I don't want to say it defeats the purpose, but it kind of it's it's repetitive. And the money probably should go into like green energy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm sure some of it like, that's does, probably like if if we're going to do it, the money needs to go towards yeah. phasing that thing out, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Yeah, agreed. So uh, I'm a little confused. <laughs> I feel like I missed something, but uh, the do you mean like the pay to pollute taxes or do you sure? Yeah, like the pay to pollute programs. Like if a corporation's paying the government yeah. to pollute. That money should be used. That money should not just go back into the system. Yeah. Back into like big money yeah, interest. Yeah. Okay. Like that's I, it should not. Sorry, go I missed something. I understand what you're saying now. The, the, like that, there that would be the argument then. Yeah. That, that money should go into green energy initiatives. Yeah. That then 
allow us to phase out the yeah, pay-to-point taxes, yeah, or at if, least to minimize them. If we're gonna, that would be you know, an argument. Give this to the, like if we're if you know we have these pay-to-point taxes in mm-hmm. place, and if we do plan on real on really moving towards green energy, I definitely agree. We should be putting that money into the green energy. Yeah. Okay. Um. Any other thoughts on climate change? Are there any aspects of this that we didn't cover that should be covered now? I don't don't think so. I don't don't think I remember any (laughs) particular things. I don't think so either. Okay. Well, then I guess we'll wrap. Thank you all for doing this. This was was fun. I thought this was great. Uh, I want to do more of these. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't want it to be the same group of people every time, but if any one of you want to come back and do this again, just hit me up. Yeah. I would love to. I want it to be a bigger group next time, maybe like six people max. I think it would be good. So, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, see you later, guys. Bye, everybody.